0: It's 2020 Independent Wrestler of the Year Warhorse here, and you are about to listen to the PWI podcast. So sit down, shut the hell up, open your ears, because we are about to rule some ass.
1: This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated,
2: the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, back once again with my co-host Brian Solomon. How's it going, Brian? Pretty good, Al. Hope you're doing well. Yes, and joining us this week for the first time, a relatively uh, new voice, uh, certainly here in the podcast and also in the pages of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Righteous
0: Reg, how's it going, Reg? It's going awesome. Thanks for having me, Al. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate you guys. This is super cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like me, you were at uh, WrestleMania, and that's one of the reasons uh, we wanted to have you on. But why don't you uh, tell everybody a bit uh, about yourself? You joined the magazine uh, last year, was it?
0: Yeah, it's been uh, almost a year now. Um, I think the first issue I was on was the last PWI 500. Um, I, of course, got there because I made my own version of the 500 called the Black Wrestlers 500, 500 of the best black wrestlers in the whole world. Took forever to do. People are crazy. I can't believe I did it. It's coming up again. And my brain is already like (laughs) 500 wrestlers again. What are you thinking? But yeah, from that, that that spawned uh, talking to Kevin and getting to be a part of PWI, which is amazing. I can't believe it. Every time a new issue comes out that my name's in it. It's so cool.
2: Yeah, well, we're happy to have you, and and, um, the writing you've done about uh, Black wrestlers is one of the reasons we want to have you on uh, this episode, because in a lot of ways, WrestleMania uh, was kind of a historical milestone. um, It was. And and we want to get into some of that, so uh, we will. Uh, Also, later after the show, stay tuned for an interview with uh, up-and-comer in Ring of Honor, Dak Draper. Uh, I got to see him wrestle Jonathan Gresham at the uh, 19th Anniversary Show. Uh, Really impressed by his work, so uh, got him on, and uh, we spoke earlier uh, today on a range of topics. You know, his journey to getting into Ring of Honor, his uh, time in WWE Developmental, um, the future of Ring of Honor... And uh, a lot more. We also even talked about uh, how, kind of counterintuitive, how being tall in wrestling, he's about six foot 5 can sometimes work against you. So, uh, a really fun yeah. conversation uh, with a guy who I think has got a very, very bright future. So, stay tuned for that. Uh, right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling uh, Illustrated. It's got one of the stars of WrestleMania on the cover, Bianca Belair, the new SmackDown uh, Women's Champion. It's our WrestleMania issue, uh, including uh, a fun feature that I put together looking at... Eight alternative WrestleMania main events. We call it kind of WrestleMania what ifs. And uh, it was a lot of fun to put together. Uh, But a lot more here. Brian, I read your column about uh, kind of lesser known WrestleMania stats. That was a lot of fun too. How much work was was it putting together? Do do you keep tabs on this? You know, I used to for
1: years. When I worked at
2: WWE, it
1: was like one of my things that I did. They thought I was nuts because, like, the internet, (laughs) you know, the internet stuff wasn't as big back then. So I would be like, they'd be like, why would fans care about this? And I'm like, you guys are too close to this to understand. No. People <laughs> care about these stats. And and I did. So like a lot of it was, I had to just update. I hadn't updated in a few years and I had to go into it and, and figure it out. And like, I remember even back then things like, you know, Gold Dust having like the worst WrestleMania record of all time, you know, things that, that I never hear people talk about. So it, it, it was just kind of cool to be able to, you know put it into into print again it's been so long since i had a chance to do that
2: yeah and i and say so you're trying to take take credit for the undertaker streak in there
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> i never i never make a big thing about that until that column i just felt like it was relevant to what we were talking about and uh, <laughs> i stand by that i stand by that that the wwe magazine played a big big part in getting that record over i will stand
2: so by. the day the there taker's on stage getting his uh, hall of fame uh induction he better thank you that's right so maybe <laughs> you should be the one to induct it <laughs> anyhow there's a lot more on this issue uh, our hot seat interview with Bianca belair uh, on the cover that kevin uh put together uh, we got features on miro uh on uh, jonathan gresham who i just mentioned uh, ring of honor pure champion on shotzi blackheart uh, a big feature looking at uh, the independent scene In wrestling, uh, I'm KG Muto. There's a a name, uh, I'd say from the past, but still very much from the present, uh, all these years later. Um, so tons here. You want to go to pwi-online.com and pick it up, uh, whether you want to order the one issue or download a digital edition or subscribe. And the uh, longer you subscribe, the deeper the savings, it's the way to go. Um, We're working on the PWI poll before long, as Reg mentioned, we're gonna be doing the PWI 500. uh, So uh, it never stops over here at Pro Wrestling Illustrated. You don't wanna miss an issue. So go to pwi-online.com to subscribe. Also subscribe to our free newsletter that Kevin puts together, the PWI Weekly, completely free and loaded with uh, bonus content. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave, leave us a positive review. Uh, what else? Follow us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at official OfficialPWI. Uh, pick up the Pro Wrestling Illustrated line of t-shirts, please, at com, um, mm-hmm. and also WhatAManeuver.net and uh, send us an email here um, at PWI at com or uh, PWI podcast at Outlook.com. Uh, Alright, so uh, a lot there. Uh, Reg, let's talk about uh, a WrestleMania. How many WrestleMania's have you got to? I'm curious. Uh
0: This was my ninth WrestleMania. What was your first? This is two nine- First one was WrestleMania 26 in Arizona. Okay, Shawn so Michaels and match. Undertaker, the quote-unquote last Shawn Michaels match. We don't talk about that other match <laughs> ever. Never, ever. Yeah, yeah. His last Probably match was- hair, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: Brian, when you were with WWE, was it, like, automatic that you had to be at WrestleMania every year? Uh, no. It, you know, in the early years, supposedly,
1: it was, from what I heard, when the company was smaller. Like, if you didn't go, it was really, like, they looked at you like you're not a team player. But but by the time I was there in early 2000s, like, the company was already so big, like, hundreds and hundreds of people that they would kind of choose who got to go. So it almost oh, really? became like mm. a birth, like every year, oh great, you're going to get to go. You're going to get to go. So I I was there for 7 years. I know this sounds crazy, but I only went to 2 when I was there. Wow. And it, it was supposed to be probably more like 4 out of the 7 years, but we don't need to get into details. There, <laughs> were, there, there were there were political things that happened a couple yeah. times that prevented me from going, but no of tragedy, course, but still yeah. No, no trash bags. Um, <laughs> we'll get into the, the trash bags. So, I, went to, I went to 17 at the Astrodome, which really oh, that's made a. Cool. That's oh, a good one. To oh, go. wow. Yeah. That's the one. And
0: I went to 23
1: in Detroit, uh, the one with Trump. So, yes. I yeah.
0: <laughs> nice I, contrast. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It used to be like the annual um, family vacation for, well, before we had a family, just me and my wife, we'd try to uh, go uh, most years. And then when we had kids, it kind of slowed down. And then the last few years, we've been able to go to a few of them. um, And especially after COVID, we were anxious to, well, we thought it'd be a good time. And it was a good time. I I had a great time did you have a good time at the show this year?
0: I had a super insane good time after the rain died down, of course. Oh, the rain was <laughs>
2: crazy, yeah. You know, one of my takeaways, I think I mentioned it with, with Brian in the last episode, is I think they need to think long and hard about um, no longer doing WrestleMania outdoors. I think Definitely. too much of a risk. I, You know, when I was contemplating, I was there, what happens if they cannot get the show in? You know, right. uh, this right. week? what do you do with all these people who bought tickets, that traveled? Uh, it's just too big a risk.
0: Yeah, there was a moment there where before I had even got into the arena, where I was like, "This could not happen. This could be the first WrestleMania that's canceled." We're all here <laughs> waiting right now for this. Yeah. What is going to possibly happen? I thought they could move the whole thing to the second day, which would be a thing, I guess. But I mean, luckily the rain died down and it all worked out.
2: It, it died down for the talent that had the the roof in in the ring. But uh, I, since I I got back, I've been able to see some of WrestleMania on TV, and I don't think. Um, it really captures night one how we were soaked all
0: night long right I, I, know yeah.
2: I, I got back to the hotel and hung up all my clothes soaking wet and the next morning they were still soaking wet so right. um, the the rain was pretty persistent all night long. I know that mm-hmm. that um, I was shivering in in my seat uh, right. I came through um, watching the show but uh, it was bad yeah. Yeah. The next night, the next day was worse, but it ended right before the show.
0: So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, they they do need to think about this because that was insane. <laughs> that was yeah. too much.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you uh, that, that's I, I went to WrestleCon um, on the Friday. But other than that, I, I didn't get in all the shows. I wasn't even aware there was many. Uh, 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 there were there were that many shows. But but you took in a bunch of shows over that weekend, right?
0: Yeah, I went to a, a bunch of different independent wrestling shows. Uh, GCW presented the collective, and they have like maybe four, maybe 12 shows. I think they had four shows a day. And I ended up going to about six of them. I went to four of their shows and two other shows. I went to um, Action Wrestling, presented a show, Action Wrestling and Sup Wrestling together presented a show. And I also went to this New Texas Pro Show. They're a company out of Texas. They had a show in Tampa. It was incredible. A lot of great talent. Brian Keith, AJ Gray was there. Mysterious Q. It was a a really great WrestleMania weekend type showcase of talents. And then, but the best show that I went to was a part of the collective for the culture. It actually might be the best wrestling show I've ever been to in my entire life. So yeah, there was a lot. There was too much wrestling going on, which is anytime there's too much wrestling, I'm having a great time because I love too much wrestling. It's my favorite. (laughs)
2: <laughs> what, what was it like, uh, from a, a, safety protocol, uh, perspective, because as much as I was up for going to, to WrestleMania, you know, I knew it was going to be outdoors. Um, I knew uh-huh. masks were going to be required. You know, there was going to be um, a fair amount of distance with them only selling about 20,000 seats. I got to say, I was a little uneasy about maybe going to, uh, any indie shows, not right. knowing what the protocols would be. So, so what was it like at those shows?
0: To tell the truth, at the collective show, the protocols weren't great. The whole thing was outside, but there wasn't any. Yeah, yeah, that that helped. But there wasn't any like checking temperatures or mask checks or any of that. I'm vaccinated. So I was like, I'm going to just be in my mask over here on the side. But like, if you're not, I think there was moments where it got pretty sketchy. I think so at the the collective show, at least. I think they could have been doing better at regulating what was going on at the show i don't think they there were some people that were just maskless they didn't care about anything that like they just stumbled in they saw a wrestling show and came in how that happened sometimes um it was it wasn't the best at the collective yeah. show at the other shows they were take taking temper, temperatures and kind of regulating the distances but i mean i guess they were just relying on the whole thing being outside which i guess they they thought yeah. would help but you know
2: It does. I mean, it does make a, a difference. I mean, one of the kind of, um, I don't know if it was funny, but sort of ironic moments at WrestleMania was they, they went through all those precautions and then the show starts and the rain delay uh, begins and, you know, all social distancing be damned. everybody
0: packed <laughs> right. in the <laughs>
2: forces, like, <laughs> huddled together, um, trying to stay warm <laughs> uh, and dry. But even then, you know, the vast, vast majority of, of folks had uh, masks on and
0: yeah. trying
2: to keep their distance. So. Uh, yeah. You know, I I really liked there being so much space. Right. Same here. You hair. know, like it. it, it uh, and And I know it's just a product of the pandemic. And once they they can go back to packing the place um, they, they will, but there really is something to be said for just like, man, I had the whole row in front of me. I can put my feet up, <laughs> yeah. it's not like that shoulder to shoulder kind of uh, thing. Uh, so
0: you can get up out of your seat and go yeah. to the bathroom. No problem. Anything definitely like that. Yeah, definitely.
2: Bathroom lines for food, all that. Uh, so, so part of that was, was nice. Uh, but let's talk about, you know, we, we've, uh, over the results, Brian and I, um, but, uh, having you here, we did want to talk about sort of the racial implications of, of WrestleMania and how right. historic it was. Uh, why don't you just tell us in, 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 your words, you know, the significance of two black women headlining WrestleMania, uh, night one of, uh, Bobby, La- Bobby Lashley retaining the, the world title and anything else that, that jumped out to you as historically significant.
0: Yeah, definitely starting out the show with Bobby Lashley as the, going into the wrestlemania as the world champion only third black wwe champion ever in the history to go in the first match and to retain the first black man to ever retain the wwe championship at wrestlemania the rock never did it he he would be the only one that would be able to do it the rock never did it bobby lashley did it and he had a dominant win there was moments there where most people were like this is going to be Drew's crowning moment. This is good. People were telling me this all week and I'm like, Hey, stop saying that to me. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, this is Drew's time. He has to get his moment in front of the crowd, this and this and this. And then for Lashley to say, no, none of that. I'm going to actually dominate this guy, lock him in the hurt lock, make it look like I really won this. And for him to get a victory like that and to retain was amazing. Great way to start the show. I was like, okay, from here, everything's going to be great. And then, so, to go from that, the first match to the main event being two black women main eventing WrestleMania for a world championship. Like, it's really hard to kind of put into words how that feels as a black wrestling fan who's been the nine WrestleManias, who's been watching wrestling for 30 years, who's seen the bottom of the bottom of, of black wrestling fandom to. You know, Kofi losing in nine seconds, which I'm never going to ever be over. I'm going <laughs> to take that forever. Every day I'm going to think about Kofi being jobbed out to Brock Lesnar. I hate it. it just makes me angry. But to go from that to Bianca and Sasha having this amazing match, on top of it just being an historic moment that, you know, who know we would ever get to it, the match was incredible. I've watched it two or three times since then just because they did so much. And I wanted to catch all the little moments for them to to go to that and just have this incredible match and the motions and the moment and the crowds all into it. All the elements were set up to have this great match and moment and they executed. It was just, it was perfect. I loved it.
2: Yeah. Brian, do you think uh, all those things combined, two black women headlining uh, WrestleMania night one, Bobby Lashley uh, going in as champion and retaining do you think that all that happens if the country didn't go through everything it's gone through over the last year?
1: You mean like pandemic wise or? No. Well,
2: or I, like, I mean, I guess it's all together. But but when when you talk about George Floyd and right uh, the, the, rec- the racial reckoning in the U.S., uh, w- w- was was that maybe a wake up call for WWE in some ways? You know, uh, I, I
1: would like to think yes. Um, I mean, just deep down, because like, I worked there, <laughs> I, right. I just, you know, it, it's a corporate entity and it's and it's not the most. Here's the thing I compare it to um, when they did the whole women's revolution. Right. And everybody thought, wow, OK, they're finally like waking up and being really progressive, thinking about the role of women in wrestling. And it was like, OK, so, yeah, but OK, they're 35 years behind like every other. Major right. sport, event. <laughs> And they're doing it. They're really. They're acting like they're on the forefront of this, and mm-hmm. they're doing it really. Look, uh, they're responding to what they see as a supply demand need as a corporate entity. And so when they started kind of dropping the ball and fumbling with the with the women stuff, and people started, you know, being so shocked about it, I wasn't shocked because I, I know that to them internally, this is like, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a calculated. Corporate decision made to like capitalize, and I mean that in the literal sense of the term
0: to capitalize
1: on this. And I feel like I feel like such a wet blanket for like putting it this way, but Uh but like internally, I I just feel like they're doing this now, yes, because it felt like the right moment to do it. But from like a business standpoint, and but you know what though, that's not. I mean, maybe that's not always the worst thing in the world because yeah, right. that's how change happens, you know, like especially in a capitalist society when people see there's a way to make money from it. Uh, but that can be how how change happens. No matter what their intentions are, um, you still get there in a way. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah. I, I just get very wary. Like I, I'm always ready for them to disappoint in, in those areas, though. That's that's my only thing. But but let me tell you, But but for that show and on that night and on that day, they did not. I mean, that was that was history that was a moment i said it in the when we talked about it last time in the in our 17-hour wrestlemania recap that,
0: <laughs> um,
1: that that's like that moment of the two of them sasha and bianca like staring at each other and she's tearing up and everything you're gonna see that in wrestlemania packages right and, and in wwe packages for the next like 30 years you're
2: gonna forever see that. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, reg or, or or the i think brian's uh, uh right but but again i, I is it a, a bad thing or I, I feel like there have been times where um wwe in the past has just straight up pandered right and right. have put people in positions only because of their their color or their or, or whatever their their identity who um otherwise I won't name names, but there are people have come to mind, and not necessarily uh, just black wrestlers, but when they've uh, targeted certain countries, yeah. um, they'll they'll find somebody who is from a country and they'll right. push them all the way. Um, this feels like, yes, I think the events of last year played a factor in the presentation this year, but also everybody who got that spotlight very much deserved it, right? I mean, Bobby right. has earned it. Um, not just over 16 years or 17 years, but over a killer last year and last few months, really um, a breaking out. And certainly you could say the same for for Sasha and Bianca. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that that kind of makes it is all these people have built to this moment. It wasn't just like, OK, now what do we do? Let's just throw. Oh, there's a black person yeah. right there. Let's right. throw in the match. Guy. It was yeah. like, yeah, it was. it's like it all worked out. But I can totally see what Brian's saying because they do try to capitalize just look at like the Bad Bunny situation they knew like if we get this guy our Hispanic our Hispanic viewership could certainly go up and you know they just got numbers that it went up pretty significantly with Bad Bunny so i know that they they do that <laughs> we yeah. see it and it happens all the time but i mean you know i guess that's how we have to take it i hate to say it like that but like if that's how i have to get two black women in the main event give it to me you know what i mean so they earned it. They killed it. It worked out. Even who, how, how they got there. I don't, who knows? We got here. Yeah. yeah.
2: I also think that, that WWE, I'm uh, sorry, but uh, uh, they sometimes and, and, and rightfully so, because over the years there've been a lot of missteps, but they sometimes don't get the credit that they deserve for True. diversifying the roster as much as, as they have. Um, I, I just, before we got on, I, I looked at the whole um, roster of champions on the the main brand, and half of them are people of color, right? Uh, and and that actually went down. I think before WrestleMania, it was a little higher, but the New Day lost the titles. You only end up losing one because uh, of, of Moss, but yeah. uh, also Oscar um, lost the title. But uh, up and down. If and, and if you go to NXT, there's uh, a few more. I think four of the champions in in NXT uh, are people of color. So uh, uh, Brian, I mean. Did, did, does WWE maybe not get enough uh, of of a fair rap for the strides they've made on, on this?
1: Um, boy, you're just really trying to get me to say nice
0: things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. But, but again, it, it's, it's very smart. And, and I, and I, one thing is I don't think they get enough credit for being smart enough to read those situations. Like
0: right. it
1: can be, it can be very ham fisted and clumsy, like, you know, I feel that Jinder Mahal was like that, where it just felt like, why is this, you know, guy who's essentially viewed as a jobber all of a sudden, like beating the world, you know, right. like things like that. But but look, it it also gave us Eddie Guerrero. I mean, I was there right. when that happened and there was a very conscious inside the company thing of like, we need a Latino superstar like like before Eddie that, that like he fit what they were looking for they were like they, we have a huge demographic you know that's a big part of our audience they love us and we need to do something we need to give them somebody that could be like their whatever you know their their rock their Austin their somebody and they were looking for somebody and Eddie Guerrero came along at the right time but you know he deserved that spot and like if it wasn't for that way of thinking we would have never had Eddie Guerrero because a guy like that, that size, that type of style and everything in another time, he would have never been given that spot ever in a million years. And, And it happened because he was there at the right time and he had the right talent and the charisma they were looking for. So, I mean, it works. And we also can't forget, I mean, look, even in the, in the history of the company, I mean, Vince for all of his flaws, you know, he's also his father's son. And if you look at the way his father ran things, that was always the MO is looking at things from an ethnic point of view. And how could we give our fans a star that looks like them? You know, that's how they right. got Bruno San Martino. That's how they got Pedro Morales and, and other people that weren't even world champions, but were major stars. You know, they were thinking like, what ethnically, you know, what type of people make up our audience? We have a lot of Greeks in the audience. Okay. Let's give them Spiros Arion. We have a lot of Polish fans coming out. We, well, we'll give them Ivan Putsky. Like, they were always thinking like that, and and I think that um, it is a it is a tradition in that company that maybe is not looked on as favorably as it should
0: be. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it never ends well. That's usually what happens. They yeah, start out yeah. great, and then they like beat Kofi in nine seconds. You know, things like that happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they viewed him. They viewed him as a
1: failed experiment. You could just tell what right. Way he, Handled it is that's how they saw it. Like, okay,
0: next, this isn't working. Exactly, exactly.
2: Reg, Reg, do you feel at all whether they have kind of turned a corner here and and ushered in uh, a new kind of enlightenment when it comes to this kind of thing? Or as you touched on, do you think it's a fad and uh, before long, um you know, this passes and we go back to mostly white uh, main eventers, mostly white world champions?
0: I I think I think they've turned the corner. I think with social media, they can't like they just they could see the the feedback in real time. So like if they went back, we would let them know they had they've turned the corner. And I think it's been a couple. It's been a while. I remember there was one Survivor Series that was like there was a black wrestler in almost every match. It's been going on for a while. It's sometimes a little bit quiet, but I think they've turned the corner to going in the right direction to continuing this to where it's even it's not just like an overload of one or an overload of, of another it's like it's warranted what's going on everybody's just getting a fair shot it's not about these politics and things so I think I, I want to confidently say that they have turned the corner but it is WWE and tomorrow like they could just have a night of champions and switch all the champions and go back to where they were so it's really hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, the upside is that it, it it's not just like, uh, again, what we were touching on where it's not a situation where you've got a mostly white roster and there's some pressure on them to have some diversity uh, among their title holders or the main event. So they call on the, the handful of, of minorities that are in in um, the locker room. The entire roster is pretty diverse now.
0: Right. Yeah. So right. It,
2: the uh, people of color make up. Uh, a pretty big chunk. I mean, I, I should do the math, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's half. It's uh, a lot, or, definitely or around there. You know, and and when, when you include Hispanic wrestlers, Asian wrestlers, Um so uh yeah, I mean, I th- I think that's the way it works. If 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 the people are around, then there's just more opportunity for for everyone. Um, the the other topic we want to talk to you about coming out of WrestleMania was uh, the Hall of Fame. This is another place where over the years their their handling of uh, uh, diversifying the the hall of fame uh, sometimes I think has been um I think ham fisted is the, the term that that Brian uh, used. Um, th- this year I don't did w- were there any black Hall of Famers outside of the, the legacy hall of fame? I feel like every uh, class they need one. And this year mm, I can't think of it. I mean I don't uh, think
0: so yeah I don't yeah, think surprisingly, so surprisingly yeah hmm.
2: does that bother you or, or or is it a good thing in that, again, I, I think this is a place where in the past they have been like, well, who's black that we could put in? Right. I
0: mean, yeah. No, but I, I, it does bother me because I feel like there are wrestlers who deserve it, who could be in there, that they could find. Like, it sometimes feels like, well, why is this person going in? They were only on one wrestling show. And you know what I mean? Like, they do things like that. And I think there's a bunch of wrestlers that could definitely be in and it wouldn't be weird that they're going in. So, yeah, it does bother me a little bit. It gets a little bit frustrating. And then what they did with the, you know, with the black people they did put in or, you know, the black woman they did put in is pretty frustrating on top of it.
2: Yeah, let's talk about that. So the controversy coming out of that was that um, they inducted uh, Ethel Johnson, uh, who was a black uh, female wrestler, I guess, from the the 50s. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, uh, but but they used the wrong photo. Is that right?
0: Right. What happens was they didn't contact the family for the uh, whatever wing of the Hall of Fame that is. They didn't contact the family. They just were like, we're going to do this. And I guess they thought the family would be happy that we're showcasing. But what happens was they showed the wrong video footage, showed footage of Sandy Parker, which is another black woman wrestler who came up around the same time. But it wasn't Ethel Johnson. And they showed a picture of Babs Wingo, who was her sister. Instead, so essentially they they showed a bunch of the wrong wrestlers uh, trying to pay tribute to Ethel Johnson and they didn't contact any of the families. So this was just a big surprise to them when they see these video packages giving them But wait, this isn't even Ethel Johnson that they're showing on the yeah. screen right now. And it would have been way easier if they would have just said, Hey, we're going to do this. Can we have footage or can you guys collaborate on this? And they just didn't yeah. drop the ball.
2: Yeah. Brian, how, how does something like that happen? And uh, how, how big a
1: deal is it? Well, one of the reasons it happens is unfortunately, what this legacy Hall of Fame wing is about is it's like their backdoor way of inducting people that a, they don't really think are 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 worth like spending a full induction like 10, fifteen minutes on. They don't want to do that. And b, they don't want to offer either them or the family an actual legends contract. I mean, that's oh the, okay, that's that makes real sense. deal. Because Hall of Fame is money. These people get offered a deal like you, you get percentages of merchandise sales if they, they want to do books about you and blah, blah, blah. So it's like a way that I mean, most in most cases for legacy, the people are passed away. But it's a way for at least the family to, you know, get some kind of something like I remember one year. Uh, I know I, I'm pretty sure about this, like with Bruiser Brody. They actually wanted to do the full induction with Brody. They wanted to do it. And his widow, Barbara, was like, I want nothing to do with this. I want nothing to do with you. He would have not wanted anything to do with this. Sorry, see you later. And then they were like, yeah, we'll just put him in the legacy because we don't need any cooperation. Or it, it, it's basically.
0: I see. Okay.
1: It's even less real than the actual Hall of Fame right? in a way. It's just like we're just going to say your name on TV and say you're in the Hall of Fame, which there's no building or anything and no one gets a ring or a contract yeah. or anything like it's really weird. It's it, the whole legacy. I, I have mixed feelings about it. I like it as a way to at least mention the names of people that deserve recognition that they're never going to give it to. So it's better than nothing. But it is uh, it can sometimes be more of like a backhanded compliment than anything else. Somet- like yeah. this time is a classic example.
2: Yeah. So so I've got the class up here. the The only uh, black wrestler that went in um, with kind of the main class for both years, 2020, 2021 was Titus O'Neill with the the Warrior Award. right. Um, and then the 2020 legacy included Brickhouse Brown. And uh, the 2021 included Ethel Johnson and Pez Watley. And Pez Watley, God bless him. I, I know he's a journeyman and and contributed a lot, but he's one of those names where I'm like, I remember Pez Watley as a job guy. In, in, yeah. And I and I don't know that. I know in in some territories he was a little more than that. Uh, but is is that a name who you would associate as a Hall of Fame wrestler?
0: maybe not at this moment. He can maybe get in eventually. I think the spot that they put him in is where he deserves like to be. It, like yeah. he deserves to be a legacy one. Yeah, I think so. You know, not like this guy's a Hall of Fame career. Look at his resume. He's the best. But, you know, he he earned his keep, I think. I think if you talk to an older generation of wrestling fans, they would they would say that he did some things for them.
2: Well, I guess the interesting thing to to explore with this is, is a reality that, um, I don't want to say great on a curve, but, but uh, when you look at black wrestlers, they do deserve a, a different consideration, especially wrestlers from 30 uh, years ago, more because they, they dealt with some challenges that their right. counterparts. So it wasn't necessarily a, a level playing field. So maybe you have to look beyond what they accomplished in the ring um, because they had a lot of forces working. Exactly.
0: There, but... Just being there, just like I, going back to Ethel Johnson is uh there was a documentary called lady wrestlers that this man, Chris Bornea directed. And uh, they talked about, she talked about how in the fifties Madison square garden, wouldn't let them in to wrestle. Yeah. Like they could, the women couldn't get inside the building to even wrestle. So mm-hmm. like, that's what I was saying for the, the WrestleMania main event, like to go from women, not even being able to get inside the arena to them main eventing. WrestleMania is like, insane so yeah I would think you know Pez Wally did dealt with a lot of different things than Bianca Belair has to deal with Pez Wally did with a lot of different things than Bobby Lashley has to deal with so I mean just going based off that yeah you know I would say most most of them probably deserve to be in the Hall of Fame just for what they had to put up with you hear some of the stories that Butch Reed used to tell you hear some of the stories that Ron Simmons used to tell and you're just like how did you survive in this yeah. Yeah. in this profession? Like I would have been out the first day hearing all this crazy stuff they try to put them through. Which what reason? Pez,
2: I mean, Pez Pez that, that, that
1: should be in the hall of fame, I would think. Pez Watley got stuck with. I mean, he had he had a pretty good run for some of the southern territories, like. He did well in Memphis and he, and he had a good run in Crockett, but he also had a deal with getting repackaged with like, right. he got the Saba Simba treatment for a while. Yeah, before,
0: exactly. You know,
1: where he was Shaska Watley, you know, and he mm. had to like, you know, do that in order to get over. So, yeah, I mean, like that's things that uh, that a white wrestler would not have <laughs> to go through. Right. They might have to go through different kinds of things, but definitely not
0: that.
2: Reg, what are some names, um, uh, black names, that you think are missing from the WWE Hall of Fame?
0: Uh, Immediately, Too Cold Scorpio always comes to mind. Like, uh, how is Too Cold Scorpio not in here? There aren't even, I can't even think of another black name without saying Too Cold Scorpio, man. Like, the 450 splash in the early 90s on TV was blowing people's minds. He's still wrestling today. I watched him wrestle at WrestleMania weekend, and he's 55 years old, I think, like, How is he not in this thing? What are you guys doing? What's going on? And he better get the big, all of the stuff. He needs the induction. He needs all of it. It's too cold, Scorpio, man. It drives me crazy yeah. for sure. Just that one name. I don't even want to say any other names because he needs to be in there.
2: Well, you mentioned Butch Reed before, and that's another one I'd, I'd think uh, uh, deserves a place in the Hall of
0: Fame. Yeah, he, I mean, I don't know why they didn't is put he, him, him in this year like with him, the. He, I, he I possibly so. could be. I would have to look it up for sure.
1: Yeah. Um you know Vince right, well, gonna wanna, if Vince inducts two gold scorpio, you know he's gonna want to do it as flash flunk, right? I mean Yeah,
0: uh, see that's the <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing.
2: But I'm okay with that, in as much as it is the WWE Hall of Fame. It's a it's somewhat oblivious. It's like when they inducted Scott Hall insisted that he go in as Razor Ramon, you know. Right.
0: I think they did for Kevin Nash too. Right,
2: yeah. And I guess the idea is that that was the WWE creation. You know, somewhat oblivious to that wasn't nearly like the the high point of his career. And the same would go with Flash Funk. Um, But I don't know. He got to wear the cool hat and the. uh, (laughs) the
0: As long (laughs) as he gets in at this point, just put him in. He could be anybody.
2: Yeah. So let's talk about some some fallout from from WrestleMania, Um, you know, in terms of, of the the on air product. Uh, Frankly, there wasn't a whole lot, right? I mean, after WrestleMania, there's always this thought about like sort of, you know, where they're going to pivot to now. What are the new directions? And there aren't a whole lot. I mean, they're going right back to the well with uh, Lashley and McIntyre. It looks like maybe Cesaro um, uh, getting a a push on the SmackDown side. But the bigger stories, I think, were kind of backstage at at WrestleMania. You had the latest kind of uh, spring cleaning after WrestleMania with them um, uh, dropping 10 wrestlers. The, the, the biggest uh, of those being uh, Samoa Joe. I think that was the one name that really uh, jumped out. Um, Brian, h- how big a, a loss is that? Uh, I, I guess what's up in the air is what can he really do, right? I mean, how how physically limited is he? And um, how important a, a potential free agent is he out there? Oh, I mean... I have no
1: doubt he's going to get cleared and I have no doubt it's going to be a big deal. He he struck me as one of those guys that were, you know, uh, it's like you're weighing health against being overly cautious. And it feels like it feels like a Daniel Bryan situation almost. Right. right? Like he's clearly thinking I am stuck in the only place that's not going to clear me to wrestle. And I got to get out of here or I got to get cleared somehow. And so maybe maybe it's not the worst thing in the world for him. However, the flip side of that is maybe in this case, WWE is actually right in being overly cautious and right. not wanting these guys to get crippled or you know die in the ring, God forbid, or things like that. But it does feel like that kind of a situation. I feel like he was almost being held prisoner. So uh, I have no doubt, for example, he's somebody that's going to be an AEW person. and He's probably going to do great things there. I mean, he's going to be really big there. Uh, but you know, it's just one of those things that it seems to become their new annual tradition now. Right. I mean, I, I don't know if it's been more than the two years, but it feels
2: like this year, last year. Yeah. No, it's, it goes back a while. Yeah. Last year's was, I think, particularly sort of gratuitous because it was so sweeping. I forget what it was, but it was like two dozen or or more and it came in the middle of the pandemic and they had just, you know, um, reported record profits. I, I think outside of Joe, and even then, understanding there are some of these issues with, you know, um, his physical ability. I don't think there were many names in there that were like jaw dropping or, or right. anything um, like that. Um, I, I am somewhat surprised that they would, whether they have that much use for him or not, that they wouldn't hold on to Joe just to keep him from the competition because he uh, absolutely could be a difference maker, right? I mean, you, you think about what they could do with him in AEW, In AEW, he'd, he'd go right to the top of the cards, right, Reg?
0: Right. Yeah. I think uh, Samoa Joe's probably the biggest one because not even just AEW, he could show up in Ring of Honor. He could show up in Impact Wrestling. he could show up in New Japan yeah. and just like that, he's going to be at the top of any card of any company that he goes to. He's such a major player. That's why we're all like, you guys let Samoa Joe go. Do you know what he can do? I guess that, so that that comes back to the health thing and the caution thing. Cause I'm like, there, there has to be a bigger issue here. There's no way that they're just going to let Samoa Joe go knowing that AEW is going to immediately call this guy to come in. Like there's no way they're not trying to talk to him, you know? So it's a huge surprise. I hope that the the health thing is not too much. And I hope that he can come back because he's going to be world champion. Like, immediately.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's getting up there. That that's the one thing, right? He's not a a young man anymore. So it's not like AEW or anybody else would be picking up like the hot new thing that they can count on for the next 10 years. But you can, if he's healthy, you could go right into a program with a Kenny Omega or a John Moxley uh, or a Chris Jericho and, you know, have a a one or two year run where you really maximize what you can get out of him. And um, the, the, the shame of it, uh, on WWE side is that uh, you know Joe would have been such a great opponent for Roman Reigns this right. version of Roman Reigns you know uh, that that it's a real shame that they didn't get to it. Um, the, the other kind of big story and something that's just breaking over uh, the last day um, related to this is this whole I don't know what they call uh, trash bag gate with uh, with uh, uh, Mickey James um, and I guess the long and the short of it is that that um, she posted. Uh, a photo on her social media of her belongings, uh, arriving to her, WWE sent it to her, uh, in a trash bag. And, um, uh, Triple H and, and, Stephanie, um, understandably, I guess, sort of like just appalled by this and, uh, apologized profusely and said that they let go of the people who were responsible for that. And, um, it would seem related to that. I, I guess, I don't know for sure. Mark Carano who had been there head of talent for a while while um, got his pink slip over uh, the last day or so. Uh, so uh, Brian, I- I've got some thoughts on this, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you're, you're, w- w- was this the right thing uh, to do? O- obviously optics is going to play a big role in this. I, I-, I wonder um I mean, I think it has everything to do with it, right? I mean, it, I think it just looks really bad. Uh, but is this an overreaction?
1: If uh, Well, if, if Mickey had not had the wherewithal to make it public, this would not be happening. Right. Because I think it, we saw, I don't know if you saw, but it, this is, and I was not even aware of this. This is something they've been doing for years. Yeah strictly female talent. So Maria Canella said, hey, this happened to me too. I thought I was the only one. And Jillian Hall was like, hey, me too. I thought I was the only one. And no men said this. So it seems like this was a thing they were doing. Uh,
0: and when's the last time Jillian worked? It's been long, a long yeah, time right, since she's worked there. Like
1: 10 years ago, maybe. Or more. Right.
0: Now, I'm not sure off the top of my head how long Carano
1: has been the head of talent relations, but but I'm pretty sure that it would even predate him. So uh it's weird and just like toxic and dysfunctional and not shocking to me because it's like the, the the culture there can really be like that. Everybody talks about it, but sometimes you forget you think like, well, okay, it's 2021 and everything's changing and blah. there's still a lot of messed up stuff that goes on in the wrestling business and, and the corporate side of that company, and I can only speak for that company is very much like, uh, informed by the mentality of the road, still even to this day. So it's like the mentality of Randy Orton, you know, uh, defecating in people's bags, for example. Like that mentality is, uh, it carries over to all aspects of the company, and and so when things like this happen, it's almost like a reminder of that kind of thing. And uh, I mean, I, I, from from a practical point of view, forget about even being, open, you know, kind of uh, fair-minded about it. Wouldn't you think... That this would get you in some kind of trouble? Somebody <laughs> right. will be some fuss <laughs> over this. That someone's going to say, "Hey, they sent me all my stuff in a garbage bag." Like, and even like, and then there's people. Of course, there's always people. There's people on Twitter going like, "Well, people don't realize that this keeps the moisture out." And this is why. <laughs> just
0: trying
1: There are really people that are.
0: And look, oh my god! I will devil's
1: advocate, and I will say, even if there wasn't a sense of humiliation involved here or or any kind of vindictiveness. even if those Twitter weirdos are right and they and this really was innocent, wouldn't you think, even though I don't mean anything by this, this could be viewed in a very bad light. It's a yes. garbage bag. Maybe is, I should think of a different way to do this. You know, no matter how you look at it, it's just dumb that they would do this. It, it's right. mind boggling.
2: Well, let, be- let let me ask. Uh, I guess I'll uh, reg I'll ask you this. Do you think it? Because there's part of me that does wonder. Is this just um you know when is a garbage bag just a garbage bag right mm. and I, I do wonder like whether this is a situation where where Somebody's told, look, Mickey James is no longer with the company. Um, we need to you to you send some intern, gather up her belongings, and we'll send them back to her. You, you need something big enough to to contain all her stuff. Um, you, you know, you get a garbage bag and you put it all in it. So, so, do you think it's possible that this is innocent? Uh, and, and and innocent doesn't mean. It could be innocent and also be oblivious. Right. Be- right. Because the optics are so bad. Or um, do do you assume that this was intentional and kind of a, a direct message?
0: Yeah, I, I think it kind of goes back to what Brian says. It's like it's the wrestling business. They still do nasty things that they've been doing from the beginning. It could have been like a ha ha in the beginning, like, ha, ha, let's just put. Jillian Hall stuff in a garbage bag. That's funny. Like, she's out of here. Let's get rid of the trash. I think it's. this could be a malicious thing. It's the wrestling business. They do nasty things like this all the time still, all out through the industry. And this time, they just got caught. I think it just became the norm. They're like, another woman wrestler, get another trash bag. It's probably a joke in the back back there. They probably all joke and high five about it. And this time, it caught up to them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What if, uh, Brian, what if this was happening with men also? Would would it make it less bad?
1: If it was happening with men also, then you could at least say, maybe they're just really tone deaf. Maybe they're just not realizing how this is going to look. The fact that it's just the women. And then you look at you know their history of dealing with the, the female talent. That's where it really raises the red flag. And it goes back to what I was saying too earlier on where it's like, you know, the women's revolution and all that stuff. Like that's a marketing thing. You know what I mean? Like it it doesn't trickle down to the entire mentality of the company, especially if they're doing this, because if this is a company that's saying, yay, women are women rule and we're going to put them in the main event and, you know, they can be taken seriously. But when we fire them, we're going to send them all their stuff in a garbage bag. But we're not going to do that to the men, you know, because I'd be curious that that says it all. That says it
2: all. You know, I, um, I don't know I, I'm I'm uh, somewhat willing to give the the benefit of the doubt here, not to say that it it's not crass and really oblivious, but maybe not a a direct message. you know um, it, it might be just as you know again, as oblivious as thinking like well, I, we need something. you take that extra step of emptying the garbage bag in into the box. And you don't have a problem here, right? Uh, you, I would know what
1: I, you know what I'd be interested Now you sound like those guys on Twitter. Right? <laughs> but, but I'm going to say one thing about this, and this is another reason why it's a red flag to me. If you look at the, the uh, regimes of talent relations. So like, for example, it sounds to me like, okay, so if you have Jillian Hall saying it happened to her, uh, and I, I didn't really hear, like, I didn't hear people like Trish or Lita or people like that say they, they haven't. And, and and if it had happened to them, I, I feel like they would have come. Well, forward. you have to be released,
2: right? right. But so. Here's the
1: thing, though. But here's the thing. I feel like the sense I'm getting is this is a, if, if this is a tradition, it started during, like, the Johnny Ace era. So, like, I don't think Jr. was doing this is what I'm trying to say. I don't think, like, J.J. Dillon was doing this way back mm-hmm. when. I think this is like something it sounds like, and look, I don't know for a fact, it sounds like something that Laura Knightis kind of started, and he did not have the greatest track record with handling female talent at all. That's a known fact, like especially after JR. That was definitely barely
0: can handle the men too.
1: (laughs) But that was a step down. Look, Johnny Johnny was a guy that was like I said this to you before, Al, like he was looking in swimwear catalogs and saying, hire this girl. (laughs) <laughs> and like that's how people were getting hired like and, and everybody knew like JR at least JR had an idea like JR was responsible for the era of Trish and Lita and Victoria and Jackie and being like you know we should promote the athleticism of these women you know he was limited in what he could do but he was known for that and when Johnny Ace took over it was definitely seen as a step down that's when you started getting yeah. like uh, these women that had no, you know, oh, don't worry, we'll teach them how to wrestle. Who cares? They, they look really hot. Like The diva was, search. Right. That was during, right, diva search. Yes, yes. That was during the Johnny Ace thing and I feel like this might have been a culture that grew at that time and that Mark Carano during his time was just, continuing what was already being done like that's part of why it, it looks nefarious to me because I don't think it's I think it's something that was done during a period when female talent was not always being treated the best that's right
2: and, and it's worth noting John laurenidas is is back right yes in, in, right. uh, uh, uh the, and I, and I'm just reading now apparently he issued uh an apology I don't know if that means him taking responsibility for it um but yeah I wonder if Yeah. Is it a coincidence? Uh, Crazy
0: coincidence (laughs) that this happened
2: um, in the the era where he was last there and now happened again.
1: As far as Carano that well, because well, Maria said it happened to her and this was only like a year or two ago. So uh, But but, but I think that not the first time that she was let go. So I think uh, but I think like in the case of Carano, I get the feeling that, you know, the Johnny Johnny Ace coming back was slightly before this whole thing happened. And I feel like they wanted Carano out anyway. And I think that this was just like a convenient way way to get rid of him. You know, I mean, like they made him take the fall for this and I think they probably wanted him out. And then this was the reason.
2: Yeah. Reg, do do you think, uh, I mean, it it makes me think of this uh, uh, question. Should the head of talent be a wrestling guy i mean it, it was sort of a wrestling person's job for a long time as long as there's you know, that job existed but you know jim ross was the probably the the, the most famous one and held that job for a long time right. Then uh, john Laurinaitis. but then like they've done with so many of these back office jobs in wwe they've just gotten the corporate side right and it's just kind of moving further and further away from wrestling people but when you're talking about handling talent Right, is, Does it seem like something that sh- should be a wrestling person's job? The f- the flip side, as you touched on, wrestling people, especially of a certain age, a certain generation, come with a lot of bad habits from, right. from um, years ago. And maybe there's something to be said for introducing someone who is uh, more up to speed with the way corporate America operates in, in 2020. Right.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a it's hard because on one hand you want a wrestler that can relate to the wrestlers and knows what it's like to be even fired by another wrestler. But then exactly like you said they come with these old habits and we used to do things this way and they bring that back to the current day and you get a situation like this where somebody's things in a trash bag. But I would say I would rather have a wrestler in the position just because you can relate more to the situations of everything that's going on. And and it feels just the, when they start giving up too many positions to corporate, it just like you can feel that it feels like that comes across in all other aspects and just having more wrestling personalities and more wrestling minds just usually makes everything better. I think.
1: I I agree with Reg, because I I just want to say, too, I think when they do that, then you get more respect from the talent. Those people respect the talent because they go, well, they went through what I did. And even in the case of Jr., like he wasn't an in-ring talent, but. All of the talent respected Jr. because of his proven head for the business and the fact that he'd been involved in the business for so many years. You right. know, they respected him. Then you had people like, you know, Pat Patterson was the original guy and they all respected the hell out of him. And J.J. Dillon, of course, and even John Laurinaitis, who, who had a lot of flaws, like he still had that respect. I mean, for better or worse, he struck like terror in that locker room. I could tell you that like people straightened up when he walked by. And you know that mean that's not always a good a good thing. But I think what what happened, it almost felt like they were doing it intentionally. Was that position almost became one of less authority and respect? Like like um, look, uh, all all I, I worked with Mark Carano when I was there twenty years ago. He was a gopher. I mean, look, I, there's mm. no other way to put it. He was a backstage gopher. He was like, I oh, sent Carano to go do this and do that, and he was a guy that the talent sometimes like kind of goofed on. Mm-hmm. And uh, as being like like a you know a backstage guy like a runner almost and so when I found out that he was head of talent relations I was like what <laughs> like what what are you talking like they what like even the names his name just conjured up images of like uh, like I'm sorry Mark but like this, this <laughs> kind of like goofy guy like sort of haplessly running around backstage. And it got me thinking like, okay, so they want somebody like that. They must want somebody like that, like a a stooge that they can sort of get to do what they want rather than a very headstrong, powerful person like Laurenitis or Ross or Dylan or whoever that they can't like push around. I think that's been company wide. It's like, they seem to really want these people that they could just sort of like push around and tell what to do.
2: Yeah, I think with I bringing Laurinaitis back, I think um, I, I thought I read that the idea was to kind of split the job, and then you'd have the guy who was handling talent, I guess, more on the corporate side, and then you had the other guy who would be sort of the liaison to the wrestlers, more interfacing with them. And I guess good cop, make- bad cop. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right, right. You know, um, it, it, the, the Laurinaitis pick is kind of an odd one because he did have kind of, he didn't have the greatest reputation, right. Among among a lot of the wrestlers, you know, I think respected as, as um, a former wrestler, but um, you know, as you touched on the, the, the the shift from the, the Ross era to the, you know, Ross was Randy Orton and Brock Lesnar and John Cena and the rock. rock And, and on, and um, I, I think John Laurinaitis and I think Heidenreich Right, I mean that—that
1: that was of time, but- I think hiring the wrong one-legged wrestler. That's
3: what I. Think.
1: <laughs> right, yeah, yes. no, you're right. Exactly. You're right. He—he—he he, he kind of, I think the, the general view was, wow, this is really, um, a, a shift and not in a good way. But also, I think part of it was that Laurinaitis, w- and this is the beginning of that whole way of thinking. Laurinaitis was seen as more of a yes man than Jr. Right. Jr. and and Vince had a very very contentious antagonistic relationship it was like this love hate thing where Vince like knew that all the talent loved him and Vince knew that he had a great head for the business but like they constantly butted heads and didn't get along and JR would stand up to him a lot and be and and tell him he was wrong you know and I think that no matter how much I, I sometimes hear like things where they'll say well Vince loves to have people there that aren't yes men or whatever and I don't know if that's really true or not because the Laurinaitis thing certainly doesn't bear that out because that's A huge reason of why he got that spot was because he knew how to play the political game that that was the one part of the job that junior wasn't the best at doing was the political side of it, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Ross talks a lot about that in his book and his podcast uh, all the time. And um, yeah, I mean, in in some ways, I guess Ross was perfect for that job because he he wasn't a yes man, but he also would, um, I think by his own admission, put up with a lot right i mean like uh they they dragged him through the coals you know humiliated him publicly over and over and over again
1: and 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 in the and in the office too i could tell you
2: it was really
1: uncomfortable yes
2: yeah yeah he was a guy who would who would stand his ground and speak back but also um wasn't gonna leave right so uh Yeah, I guess maybe the best of both worlds. Uh, All right, guys. Well, this was a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground here. I I appreciate it. Um, Reg, anything you want to plug? Uh,
0: Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Please get your coffee. And the last (laughs) issue, uh, that Jonathan Gresham article, I did it and it was turned out great. Um, I have a. My own reoccurring column in there is called The Righteous Wrap-Up. It just started. First one's on Trisha Dora. Uh, Blackwrestlings.com is where you can find some of my writing that's not in there. And uh, on Twitter, Righteous Reg is really where it's at.
2: Since so, so you brought it up, r- real quick, what do you see as the upside uh, to Jonathan Gresham? I, I think he's, he's fantastic. I mean, do you see him as she, kind of a real breakout he, star from Ring of Honor?
0: Yeah, I think that um, the, him being pure champion right now is going to be the stepping stone to being really that guy. I think with the work that he's doing right now, the promos that he's doing, that match with who you have an interview with, Dak Draper, was insane. One of the best matches yeah. of that 19th anniversary show. Uh, I, and I, I don't think a lot of people expected that. And and I think that's what Jonathan Gresham is going to be, and that's how he is. He's really... Uh, we kind of relate him to Brian Danielson because or Daniel Bryan, because you just, you can get behind him. His matches will make you a fan of him. He doesn't have to talk. He doesn't have to do anything. When you watch a match and at the end of it, you're just like, wow, this guy is different. He's on another level. And I think he's going to use that to excel to the next level. He's going to be Ring of Honor World Champion one day, and I think carrying the company. I think this run right now with the pure championship is setting that up. He's incredible.
2: Can, can he get past that, though? I mean, in as much as over the years, Ring of Honor has been like the stepping stone to uh greatness in, in wwe and, uh-huh. and look at i mentioned it to to dak you, you you look at the wrestlemania card and just top to bottom ring of honor graduates uh, all over it it's kind of been a while since it's been like that since ring of honor has been pumping out you know the stars at, at that caliber um john can jonathan gresham uh, get there does he have too much uh against him in that uh, he's pretty small, even by he's small. Yeah, modern standard. He's, <laughs> what is he? He's got to be five six. Or, yeah, he's
0: like five seven, five eight, maybe. He's pretty small. Um, yeah, no, he's probably five six. He's shorter than I am. Um, I don't WWE. I don't know. I think with the advent of like AEW, like he could be world champion in AEW, like no problem, and people would believe it'd be it'd be everything you want. But I think WWE is still kind of in that yeah. we like big guys. Like, is Adam Cole ever gonna be? a main roster world champion. I don't know. Like, I don't know if they'll ever get past him being shorter than the other guy. So I, I, you know, in WWE, I don't know what's up in the air. Really? Things are changing constantly. Things are changing on a daily weekly basis that you're seeing wrestlers. You wouldn't five years ago, like you wouldn't see them there and they're here now and they're, they're making their way, but I don't know if he can make it to the tippy top just with how yeah. they still judge talent and they still run things, you know, like Bobby Lashley's the champion for a reason. He's giant. He's he's a right. monster.
2: <laughs> I, I think the Daniel Bryan comparison is a good one, but you also have to remember, you know, Daniel Bryan was working the, the Indies for a dozen years or, or more yeah,
0: before a long time. he
2: got a break in, in WWE. And it was because of that, in part because of his size and because he just was sort of plain looking and had this style that you wondered how well other wrestlers could work with him uh, right. he was on this higher level. Um, and Vince Vince was
1: high on, on Bobby Lashley even 15 years ago when he first came in. Yeah. Right. He wasn't really ready at that time. And Vince just didn't care just because of the way he looked. I mean, right. that, that got him through the
2: door. And he was yeah, I, green. I could have never have like predicted that Bobby Lashley would be what, what he is now because it felt like we already saw the arc with him, right? I mean, like he got at one point, it was like the Lex Luger push in WWE right. and, and and um, in, in that it was sort of against the grain fans, fans were not receptive to Bobby Lashley commiserate to the, the push he was getting um, back in 2007. Um, and then know left went to impact kind of was on the tail end of his career they bring him back and it's like all right he's a nice guy to have a couple of years ago and now at whatever he is 42 43 uh, years old of uh, 16 17 years in the building now was doing his best work it's like and it really feels like it was just about finding the the right package and I think MVP had a ton to do with that right I mean the the uh, what what a great mouthpiece uh, uh, MVP is, and and l- something we've talked about so many times. It speaks to the value of a good manager, which is like this right lost art form in pro wrestling,
0: which they still hate in WWE. Even though they have like Malcolm Vivens, I think could be like he could take somebody to world championship status like tonight if they would give him a chance. But they're just still so against managers. The funny thing about Lashley though is I was watching. I think it was extreme rules 2017 they've kind of been setting up this push for him for a while he was he was in a main event match with roman reigns back then and he defeated roman reigns like pretty handedly like i've seen moments like that through like uh the last couple years he's been here that they've been kind of setting and it might have been 18 i don't know remember exactly one of those extreme rules but he wrestled roman reigns and he kind of dominated him they've been kind of setting up this run for a long time even going back to the 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 trump thing like yeah, he. I think they were like, "We want to give this guy his moment." The fans didn't really attach on to him early on, but WWE's been trying to set him up for a long time. It feels like.
2: Yeah, yeah. he had lined a year ago, right, with uh, Drew McIntyre. He he had a, a right. main event with Drew McIntyre on an off-brand pay per view less than a year ago, I think.
1: Yeah, he's one of those few guys that really actually benefited in a big way by going over to Impact. I think it actually made right. him more marketable than he was before. I actually think that, um, Ron Killings was another guy like that, but you know, I mean, mean, it didn't wind up like where he was at in, in, in TNA impact, but going there made him more valuable than he had been before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reg, I'd be remiss also. We didn't ask you about your thoughts on, on, um, the, the hurt business, uh, of breaking up, uh, Oh
0: my God, don't even do this to me. Um,
2: (laughs) And uh, Cedric kind of, you know, no higher than they uh, really almost coming out of this, having gained nothing. uh, It's really surprising and kind of deflating.
0: They haven't even done anything. They just they're they're just like last time MVP on Raw was like, oh, you think Mace and T-Bar are part of the Hurt Business? They're not. But they didn't he didn't say anything about what's going to happen. They haven't set up the future. They just have like it feels like Cedric and and Sheldon are just like job guys now. Like, I don't know. I'm still recovering from the new day breakup. They keep doing these <laughs> things to me. I don't like, why are you guys doing this? Why do you hate any if you're a world champion, you can't have friends. That's the WWE's thing. No friends, you got there. you have to stay there on top as a lonely loser. that's their favorite thing to do. You can't have friends, no one nothing. And they always break these groups up. It's like the reason that Bobby Lashley got to where he was is because of the hurt business. Yeah. Why would you take that away from him? If you're trying I, to set Big E up to being the next, the, the next Universal Champion, the reason that people like Big E is because of the New Day. Why would you take the New Day away? You well, don't have to break these still... people up. I don't get. I just do not. I think,
1: it. but I think New Day is actually a, a one of the great exceptions, though. I mean, if you look at how long, I mean, no group gets to stay together forever, right? And, yeah. and, and true. I mean, if you look at their run, I mean, it's been in, in in modern in the modern era. I mean, it's pretty huge, it's
0: pretty impressive. it's long. I think it's <laughs> been
1: together probably longer than any team geez in like WWE history. I mean, I think
0: so. No, you're right. Hell of a run. But the Hurt business,
1: no, and and it speaks to to me when people talk about how they will intentionally pull things back if they get over too much. Which, yes. Which is crazy to think about. But you look at things like that, and that's the only explanation. It's like they were getting over too much. They were, I think they were also afraid they were getting over as baby faces. It was right. like too much, and they had to like bring
2: it in, like rein it, it in.
1: It Instead of just going with it and seeing where it goes. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I, I've I've kind of racked my head trying to think what was the the rationale uh, behind this. I, I was even half expecting it to be kind of a swerve and, yes. and Cedric to show up at WrestleMania at his corner because it, it just doesn't make any sense to me that you'd break up such a a hot act so quickly. And the only thing I I can come to is that they see even after um, the her business getting over as well as it it did, they see Shelton Benjamin and Cedric uh, Alexander. As um bottom of the card guys, right? right? And they don't want their big star associated. Right, exactly. And I think exactly. that they think that he's above it. And rather than lifting up Cedric and Shelton, they thought that they could potentially be pulling down uh a Lashley, which I think is just wrong, oblivious, not not being aware of of what a hot act um the they were they were really onto something special something that
0: they that were kind of
2: a horseman kind of a uh, vibe and um, it was great yeah and they weren't just kind of along for the ride those guys were great they were doing really really good work you know um and it's just a shame i mean if if they spun off into something that was hot and exciting it'd be one thing but they're just back to being like job guys now
0: yeah sad yeah.
2: Yeah. A real pity. Anyway, uh, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. Um, we'll do it again soon. Uh, right now, let's hear from uh, Ring of Honor uh, up-and-comer Dak Draper. Okay. So so it's, I'm fascinated, but it. it's still the the ROH bubble, right?
3: Uh, We're not uh, – so I'm not here for the bubble yet. The bubble is going to be in uh, like three weeks. But I moved out here for the uh, – to train at the dojo like three years – two and a half years ago, and I've just never left.
2: Okay, yeah.
3: What's the bubble like? Yeah. I mean, is it, and, and how how strict is this
2: bubble? And is it still as strict as it was a year ago? I guess a it's year ago stress. you guys weren't doing it. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh let,
3: me, let, me, uh, let me get on my uh, my 5G real quick. There we go. Or 4G, whatever it is. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you fine. Okay, cool. That's yeah, cool. my Wi-Fi kind of sucks. The bubble is like, uh, it's definitely more it's really strict it sucked at first cuz it was like the first one was like a week long and you had like i think testing just wasn't as good then like the rapid tests weren't as available so it was like we had like 5 days where you just didn't see anybody and now it's like you check in and then like the next day you take a covid test and then like once you pass your covid test like you can go go to the dojo and like put your matches together and stuff yeah. and so you see more people now but uh they're super strict about it like the Maryland athletic commission like they got They'll kind of troll around the uh, hotel a little bit, kind of looking for guys out in the hallway and stuff like that. Yeah, But uh, I don't know. It's uh, I hated it at first, but it's become like a necessary evil. And uh, I I think having no fans, too, has helped me to uh, improve some areas where I used to really kind of lean on the fans and lean in for crowd participation. And uh, it's really helped me to, like, strengthen some of those weaknesses. I've heard
2: that from a lot of people, that in in a roundabout way, maybe this makes them... Better performers, right? Uh, and and it, it gets you to kind of train this muscle that you otherwise wouldn't have any
3: reason to train. Absolutely, one hundred percent.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. that said, are you anxious to get some fans back in in the building? I don't know if that's it. Oh you know, God, yes. it, it looks like you're kind of on your way, right? I mean, you see the vaccination rates now around forty percent for the whole country.
3: So, is the hope that maybe
2: by the end of twenty twenty one you'll you'll be performing in front of fans?
3: I really hope that before Christmas time, before the holidays in uh, 2021, I really hope that I wrestle in front of fans again. Because, like, uh, man, the last show I had uh, in front of fans was uh, First Wrestling on March 7th, 2020. Wow. And so I haven't been in front of a crowd since. And and, uh, I think everybody's, like, super excited to have fans back. Because, like, you look at, like, I feel like the quality of matches that Ring of Honor is putting out right now. And it would just be amplified so much if we just, if we had fans there too. So I think everybody's chomping at the bit to get fans. And like, it seems like it's just like, I don't know anything like official, but just kind of hearing how, just kind of how everybody's, uh, how everybody's feeling, just kind of the temperature or the pulse of everything. It seems like there people are pretty, uh, pretty enthusiastic about us getting fans back before the end of the year. So hopefully it happens.
2: What what do you remember about that last match on, on March seventh? I mean, it, it was, you know, there was very much conversation at the time about the coronavirus. People didn't know what it was. Could what did you think? Did you think maybe we won't be able to wrestle for a few weeks and by you know April oh, or May, everything will be back to normal?
3: Yeah, I was like, Oh, okay, yeah, it'll be two weeks off. You know, I could I could take the I could <laughs> use the two weeks to kind of recover and uh and reset. And then here we are, where I'm like, that was the last time I ever looked a fan in the eye. <laughs> like it's yeah, re- but and the thing is, too, like that show, too, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a first wrestling show in uh, Minneapolis. It's Eric Cannon's promotion. It, uh, It is like crowd participation. It's like they, they've yeah. built up such a good following that it's like it is a show with a crowd. So it was like a good way to send it off in a bang. I didn't know that we were sending anything off with a bang. But because, uh, like, I don't think any shows had been canceled up to that point or none that I had heard of. Right. Yeah. And then the next week, the anniversary show had gotten canceled. And so right. uh, what were yeah, you going to do on felt- that show? I wasn't booked.
2: Okay. Well, I guess so,
3: worked out. <laughs> so this, ma- the yeah. match that I had against Gresham at the last anniversary yeah. show was like that really, really like, I feel like I really had a chip on my shoulder, like going into that because the year before I wasn't booked on the anniversary show. And so I felt like I really like had something to prove there.
2: Yeah, that's a thing that I imagine is going to be interesting when um, fans are back at Ring of Honor. You're really, uh, you have a completely different role than you had before, right? I mean, you're, you're in, in a weird way, your profile has grown while the fans have gone, certainly coming off of the, the last show and the match with Jonathan Gresham. So is there an extra uh, bit of, of sort of enthusiasm, uh, anxiousness to see how fans receive Dak Draper in, in 2021? Absolutely.
3: I feel like the amount like I've known I've known for years that Dak Draper is good, but I feel like the amount the amount of fans that uh, that knew or would acknowledge that Dak Draper is good was like this size mm-hmm. and it's grown considerably. So I'm a uh, I'm really excited and I'm excited for it. But it's also one of those things where it's like. uh, I, I hope that my expectations aren't too high. Mm hmm. I guess I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get out ahead of myself. I don't want to count my chickens before, before they've hatched. But like, I, uh, I'm really, I'm really excited. And I foresee like the fans, like the fans that have been watching I first. I always feel like I'm better live anyway. I'm better to see live than to see on TV. And so hopefully that all carries over. Like I'm confident that it will, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And, and, and it's
2: tricky because I imagine, some amount of fans that like watching ring of honor live have not been following on tv so when they return they might not be that familiar it's with like, your act
3: right what is they're like what is Dak Draper doing yeah it's <laughs> yeah. like I feel like I was just because like I was like I had just uh, the last ROH show we had I had faced Dragon Lee for the tv title and it was like the tv title shot that I had gotten from winning the top prospect tournament so I still feel like I was like viewed as this prospect guy where it's like yeah. i was still a new guy not this established guy on the roster and i feel like through the bubbles and through these last through the tapings in the pandemic i've established myself as a player on the roster and so i'm i'm excited and it's hard to admit but i am a little bit nervous to see uh <laughs> just to see how they how they adjust to it and how they adapt to it like i'm you know the wrestler's worst fear is you walk out and it's just crickets like right. no booze no cheers so uh, as long as there aren't crickets as long as there's noise i'll be good
2: yeah. Yeah. If there
3: are crickets, we should just go back to no fans. <laughs> yeah. Um. It,
2: you, you talk about, you know, making that, that change and, and, uh, and, and uh, taking a bigger role uh, in ring of honor. How much of that was, was something that you changed in, in um your, your, your act, the way you carry yourself and how much of it was just people taking
3: notice, the people, the
2: shot callers taking notice of what you brought to the table.
3: See, I think a lot of it was just time. Like I, uh, the timing of the pandemic that it happened was uh. I was still getting the chance to kind of prove myself and to establish myself. And, uh, we had just, the dojo system was so, the ring of honor dojo system was so brand new. Like we had that original class of the, the dojo five, the first, uh, first five dojo signings for ring of honor. And, uh, I feel like it was more like, you don't, you didn't see us doing the stuff that, uh, the guys are doing now with the the dojo guys are doing now where it's they're wrestling pure matches on the show and stuff like that. We were, it was like, we were all kind of like, you would see Brian Johnson and Joe keys and Dante and Dixon. They were all in the uh, top prospect tournament too, but there was no, we were all, we were all new guys. And so I feel like it's really just, I think the perception of me has changed. And I think part of that's just been being around the ROH roster. That's a huge part, just being around the guys that have been there. Guys like Matt Taven and Mike Bennett, like they're, they're always there when I get to the back and they're always there to like kind of, give me some critiques and stuff, but mostly they're there to tell me that I'm doing a good job and tell me that they like what I'm doing. And I think that might be the biggest thing, like getting the acceptance of my peers. Like each time you go out and you come back and you feel like you made somebody who didn't care, care a little bit more. I think that's probably been the thing that's helped me most is becoming comfortable in the ROH locker room and realizing that like, yeah, I'm in here with like the best, some of the best wrestlers on the planet, but I can hang with these guys. And so I think a lot of it's been me just with my confidence and realizing that, that I can hang and being willing to try stuff and uh, yeah, so mostly it's been me I think just finding my comfort, finding my uh, finding my zone.
2: Yeah, yeah. Did did you deal with confidence issues? I mean, I I know at one point you know you you were assigned with WWE a developmental deal and then get released. Does that do something about to, to your confidence? To make you
3: question you know do I really have what it takes? So my confidence was at its lowest when I was signed to WWE, when Mm -hmm. I was, when I was in NXT, I just, I was so new when I got signed. Like I barely, I barely knew what I was doing. I think I had trained for like seven months with, uh, with Pat Tanaka. It was great training, but, uh, I was just, I didn't know how the wrestling business worked. And I think it's really easy for new guys, especially like promising athletes. Like I was a college athlete to come into that system. And uh, you just tried really hard to be the best wrestling student you can instead of becoming the best wrestler you can. Mm -hmm. And so I got really wrapped up in becoming the best wrestling student. And when you do that, you just, you only base how you're doing off how the coaches are treating you. And so my confidence was just like rock bottom. I was every day that I walked into the performance center, my last like six months there, I was like, they might fire me today. (laughs) And that's like, that's no way to go through wrestling. Like there's no way to like, and I was still learning. That's no way to learn. And so, uh, getting released actually like really boosted my confidence because uh, Chris Hero and I became really good friends because uh, I I was a big Kings of Wrestling fan before I got signed before I got in became a pro wrestler. And so I met him there. He was released a little bit before I was, and just talking to him about how much fun he was having on the independents, about new stuff he was trying out, and I wasn't able to like try something new out in a match or tr- try new stuff. There just was I couldn't really be creative and i couldn't create on my own. and so when i got released i was like i was like okay cool i can get good now. i could i can go out and i can i can create on my own. i can learn how to think in wrestling and like chris hero was always kind of there watching my matches to uh, like i'd send him a match and he would always uh, send me his critiques and tell me oh yeah maybe do this instead but it wasn't like i wasn't being kept in a box. it was like i'd i I'd get pulled back. i'd get really far out and then get pulled back and that was that did wonders for my confidence. Like I've never really been somebody who's had confidence issues. Like if you ask my mom, she'd be like, Oh no, he's, (laughs) he's always been super cocky, but I feel like there are different varying shades of it. And a lot of times that can be a cover too, where if you, if you're always the guy that sees yourself as number one, being number two really sucks. And that can really like be a big blow to you. And so uh, I think that prepared me for coming into another company, another big company or another wrestling company that, has really good guys with just how to carry myself and uh, it, is, it helped me find my confidence a lot quicker. Cause when I worked, when I was in NXT, I never found my confidence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I, I imagine some people would would not want to kind of start all over again that way. Right. I mean, when you're, you're that close oh, yeah. to the, the big time to the show, you're, you know, WWE on your paycheck and you've got the infrastructure and the resources WWE provides. And to go from that to, I imagine, I mean, probably as, as humble sort of, Uh, Oh my God! uh, setting as you can, I, you know, I don't know, getting changed in the classroom or or whatever it is in front of little gyms. Um, did did, you ever have questions about, you know, whether I I still want to do this?
3: Um, so I never really had questions of, I still wanted to do it. Uh, there were questions, should I still do this? Yeah. Um, when, yeah, when I got released, it was when I was in developmental and I had, I had such a, such an unrealistic view of the independence. And also there, the culture at the time was like, well, if, if you get released from here, you'll go be the, you'll go be, for example, you'll go be the ring of honor champion or something like the culture was just that, Oh, if you're a brand new guy in NXT, that means you're still really good in the scheme of wrestling. And it was shocking to find out that like, Oh, you're nobody. (laughs) Like you're just a name that was on a list of releases. And uh, it, it was kind of a, it was eye-opening seeing that uh, my post about getting released was far and away my most interacted with tweet at that point. And I was like, Oh, this is a really bad thing. Like, that's what I realized. Like, Oh, yeah. this is, this is, I haven't done anything yet. Like I everything that I thought was like a big milestone and stuff like, like appearing on NXT TV and stuff like that. I was like, Oh yeah, that's really good. It all seems so small then. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was like, Oh, I'm just like getting fired was the biggest thing that I did for this company. Great. And uh, then I was like, well, I'm sending my rates out to promoters and I'm not getting responses. Like people reach out and ask for my rate and my rate was way too high because I just thought that I'd have this drawing power just from having been in NXT. So it it took a little bit, but I realized like you're starting at zero again. And once I accepted that is when I really started getting better. I went from Travis Tyler to Sammy Six Guns. And it's like, I feel like I built myself back up, built myself back up. And then uh, I got an opportunity to become Dak Draper and to move again, to move from Colorado to uh, Kansas City. And it was like, I reinvented myself again. And I feel like there have been three times where I've like started on the bottom and built myself back up. And each time I've gotten better each time for it. So it's uh, it's been daunting each time, but I'm so thankful that I've done it each time that I've like been able to humble myself enough to do it really.
2: Right, right. Um, did, did you see Ring of, uh, of Honor as, as especially uh, a good opportunity given their track record? I mean, you you just watch WrestleMania and look up and down the card and, and it's just all Ring of Honor graduates. Um, so did, did you again, did you see that like this is the place to be?
3: Oh, yeah. Like it's funny when I moved. So I lived in Florida when I got released. I moved back to Colorado and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, Ring of Honor will probably call anytime soon because I didn't know anything. I was I was dumb. And yeah. so uh, there were there were always a goal there were always a goal for me and always somebody even when I was in NXT I viewed Ring of Honor as like if someone came from Ring of Honor uh, into the performance center it's like oh you're really good yeah like, it's just like you know the bell to bell is going to be really good it's and like so, having uh,
2: like a Harvard on your uh, your resume right yeah
3: yeah it for real is it uh, it's such a feather in your cap and so I was like oh yeah I'll probably get called by Ring of Honor and then as I started to realize. Where I stood in the scheme of wrestling, I was like, oh, I've still got a long way to go like they're not there are levels in between that I didn't even know existed two months ago and uh so I realized that I really needed to like take it on myself to try and build my way up to being like a ring of honor ring of honor caliber wrestler and then uh I did one of the dojo camps in uh 2016 one of the uh their tryout se- tryout slash seminars that they do and uh that really made me realize especially when I'm coming from Colorado, and going to Bristol, PA, where nobody knows who you are, about just like, oh yeah, I can't just be the guy that's like big and handsome and used to be in developmental. Like that's that you can't you can't just be that guy. Like they're not going to sign that guy, they're not going to book that guy on their shows. And so that was like eye opening for me. And I've heard a few people say this about those camps. Like that was eye opening for me in a bad way about my own wrestling. Like I had to take inventory myself. Like. I don't even have, I couldn't explain my character in an elevator pitch Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And they're asking me what I am. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm Sammy Sixguns. Like, yeah, well, what's Sammy Sixguns besides a guy with a weird name? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Actually, I told, so Christopher Daniels asked me that. And I I was like, um, and I'm like, uh, and he interrupts me and he goes, what separates you from Evan Bourne or you from Matt Seidel? And I was like, and obviously I'm tall, I'm like, I'm like almost a foot taller but I was like, I didn't want to say that. And so I was like, uh, I could also do comedy. And he got so, Daniels got so mad at me. It was like his eyes crossed while he was looking at me like, oh, you can do comedy. Great. And just walked <laughs> off. And I was like,
2: this did not go well. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, you touched on it. And I thought the same thing. You, you know, once upon a time, right, being six foot five. Um, you seem like, well, this is guy's got it in the bag, right? And in a roundabout way, that can work against you these days, right? Especially in, in a company like Ring of Honor, where folks might automatically dismiss you as like, oh, here's just another six foot five jock who doesn't have much else but the size, yep.
3: right? Absolutely. I feel like I get, I that happens a lot with just, I feel like people, fans are going to uh, cheer for someone who's, they kind of can see themselves in. Right, yeah. Totally a lot of baby faces, life. yeah. It's yeah, it's really trended that way a lot, and not a lot. Not a lot of people sitting on the other side of the guardrail see see themselves in Dak Draper, and uh, more of them should, but they don't. <laughs> and uh, confidence issues. No, but uh, it's definitely it's almost been. Uh, it was frustrating at first, and then you just kind of have to realize, like, yeah, there's nothing. That, there's nothing you can do about that. But also, it's one of those things where you're so you get so indoctrinated, and like, oh yeah, well you're big, you should go work for WWE it's like, there's only so many spots for big guys in WWE. And there's, it's just, I think the big thing is I found out what I wanted my wrestling journey to look like, or my wrestling career to look like. And I wanted to be more than just getting a paycheck. Like I, I wanted to be more than paid. Well, I wanted to have the good matches. And, uh, I wanted, I guess I wanted to be more of like a Barry Windham than, a nathan jones mm-hmm.
2: that's a good one yeah 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 and and the weird thing is in wwe you wouldn't be all that big right i mean you, you'd still be i guess on on the taller end but yeah oh it's, it's, yeah the big fish small pond kind of thing and in ring of honor you're towering over everyone
3: oh yeah that, w- that was a funny thing too just the group that i came in with too i was i started around the same time as like baron corbin and mojo yeah. and guys like that where it was like even if i was as tall as somebody like they still had like 30 or 40 pounds on me so my move set when i first started on the indies was like it's a lot of like chain wrestling stuff and like things that I could do to Baron Corbin in a in a practice match, but I'm doing it to guys that I outweigh by like sixty pounds and I'm like six inches taller than, and it just it looked silly when I'm like doing these little like when I'm like reverse I'm not using my size with guys, so it uh it was uh, it took a lot of learning for me to uh, to realize like oh yeah if I'm in this company I need to wrestle this way, but if I'm in a company like where I'm just a normal size guy then I need to wrestle this way. And I feel like I've done a good job in uh, learning that and and uh, in taking inventory of what I do and what I do well.
2: Yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen a lot of your work, or or, or even followed Ring of Honor all that closely over the last year. And then I watched the uh, the anniversary show, and uh, just blown away with your match with with Jonathan Gresham. It's why uh, Thank you. Uh, uh, I asked Mark in particular to to talk uh, to you, um, and in part because. You know, you've got Jonathan Gresham, right, who is seen as like the absolute elite of this type of wrestling, technical wrestling. Um, You know, I think everybody assumed he would be the pure champion when they set up uh, the tournament. Um, And so you you see the six foot five, you know, jock guy working with him like, well, is this going to be a mess? You know, like what's this going to look like? And it was my favorite match on the show. I thought you guys did just a great, great job. So how important was that match um, for you to, to show that I could work this style? I could hang with the very best and, and a high profile match
3: on a big show. I knew that, uh, as soon as I found out that we were going to wrestle, I knew it was going to be the most important match of my life. Like I knew that like perception wise, like wrestling, it's all built on perception and, uh, perception wise. I knew that I was going to have to rise to the occasion that I was going to have to be crisp with everything. Be, uh, I was going to have to like come in with good, come in with good ideas, of course, uh, just really work well with Gresham and, uh, it's uh, I was I was happy when it was over, regardless of how it went. I knew I was going to be happy when it was over, just because like it's like almost like pulling a bandaid, yeah. Where it's like you got your moment of truth. It was just it was it was like getting ready for the NCAA championships when I was wrestling in college. Like that's how it felt. Where the way that I prepared for it was like I was I been I was going to M- Maryland Championship Wrestling. I was going to MCW and getting in the ring multiple times a week, doing two days with my training. Just it was one of those things almost felt like a sinker. it was a sink or swim moment really yeah. where it was like, you're either going to go, you're either going to stay. Oh yeah. This guy's the six foot five guy that just like, yeah, we can put him in against new guys and be kind of a gatekeeper or really try and take my destiny into my own hands and, and show that I have something more than just, than just being built the way that I am. Yeah. Yeah. Did and you so, feel you
2: came out of that match on the other end elevated on, on a higher level? I mean, are,
3: are you now thinking yeah.
2: about that, that world title scene and in, in ring of honor?
3: Oh yeah, it uh so I've moved back to the television division and uh I've moved back to the TV division, but uh I keep my eye on those world title rankings for sure. it's uh it's one of those things for me was like I feel like eventually when you see when you see the work now, when you see how the match with Gresham went, when you see how my subsequent matches go, it's uh I feel like there's no way that you can look at me and not say, and not say not think well the world title is probably in his future or at least think that i'm going to be chasing the world title at some point
2: yeah and there's an opening there right i mean um uh, frankly i mean it sort of feels like ring of honor could use some freshening up and it's main event scene as fantastic as jay lethal is um he's he's like the 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 dean of of ring of honor at this point but we've seen him in, in that mix for a long time and now rush has been the champion for for a while it feels like they're there could, uh, the ring of honor could use some fresh contenders, uh, up top. So, uh, is, is that the hope that like, you know, you cash in, you on, know, on I, th- that
3: opening? I think you said that very well. And I would love to cash in on that opening. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, I would, I would love, I would love to slide, to slide into that spot in into that opening. But I think the biggest thing I've learned in kind of reinventing myself is like, you always think that there's a spot and it's really just, you have to make your own spot, right? Yeah. Like I think what the most lulls I've had in my career have been when I've waited for a spot and waited yeah. for stuff. And like when I moved out to uh, Baltimore to start training at the ring, training at the ring of honor dojo, like they weren't signing people to contracts that they weren't signing to people to contracts that were training out there at all. I just moved out here because I wanted to get better at wrestling. Yeah. Uh, what I was doing in Kansas city had dried up and I was like, yeah, I just want to get better and kind of made my own spot. We like encouraged that through our actions and through how we did it encouraged Ring of Honor to sign some of us to contracts and so for me it's like yes i am definitely taking the steps to try and make my own spot in the main event picture of ring of honor yeah and that's not a secret for me
2: <laughs> how, how do you do that and i know it's kind of a, there's a lot involved but but is it I imagine some ways there's more opportunity to do it now because social media and because everybody's got an HD, you know, phone, uh, HD camera in their pocket at all times. So is it really kind of like going into business yourself, you know, using social media, getting the character out there, uh, doing stuff like this, interviews as much as you can?
3: I think part of it is, but I think uh part, I think a, the biggest part of it to me is that bell to bell is showing that you can really, that you really have what it takes bell to bell because like eventually like I feel like it all kind of comes out in the wash eventually and bell to bell if if I look the way I do if I'm as athletic as I am and then I can perform in the ring the way that I am people people can't help but notice And so for me like if uh, I should post more videos I should I should I should make a lot more videos I should be more active on social media I'm pretty active but I should be more active but for me I put but my physical, like my my in-ring training and my training in the gym and my cardio, I always put that ahead of that because at the end of the day, like I want my in ring work to be the uh to be the best thing. Yeah. So I, I want that to be my main attribute.
2: Because of that I imagine it's frustrating that that you know we still are dealing with the pandemic. Cause I looked at your your cage match before we talked and you just haven't had a whole lot of opportunities to wrestle over over the last couple of years, right? I mean, I don't know if it's been two dozen matches in the last two years or so. Oh my cage.
3: My my cage fight?
2: No, your cage match. That your listings of all your your uh, oh, it, oh all your
3: matches. Uh, <laughs> am I right? I, I had lie? an MMA I had an MMA fight when I was in college. I was like, oh, you watched? Oh no, not.
2: <laughs> but am I right? I mean, uh, over the last couple of years, maybe you've worked a couple dozen
3: matches officially. Uh, is, is that yeah, about right? It's officially yeah. It uh, it's it's been a it was a frustrating year before the bubbles actually were probably pretty helpful for me. Um, when I first signed with the Ring of Honor dojo system, uh, the plan was the former coach wanted to keep wanted to keep me hidden and a few of us hidden where it was like we weren't allowed to work independence anymore. And so I was just training at the dojo every day. And yep. that's all I was getting from wrestling. And that uh at the time I thought it was killing me because I wasn't wrestling in front of fans, I wasn't having matches in front of fans. Turns out it was preparing me for mm. these empty arena matches that we have now, but uh yeah, it's it's been a, fr- especially feeling the way I do about how I want the work to be good. And I was coming off of NWL, which is where I was wrestling a lot and to go from wrestling a lot and really feel like I was improving to just have all that stop. Uh, it was definitely frustrating. It was, it was, it, uh, you feel lost, you know, cause yeah. you spend so much of your life going from a wrestling show on the weekend to a wrestling show on the weekend to all of a sudden, it's just you train during the week and you don't wrestle in right. front of people yeah. at all. Pay off. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it was like it became Groundhog Day. Everything kind of ran together. And I think about that time, like, uh, like it was six months. And like when I think back on it, like I can't, like, it seems like it was like two years. Yeah. It seems yeah. like it lasted so much longer. And, uh, yeah, I was, it's funny because, like, I was once I got put back, got put into the top prospect tournament, I was like, okay, cool. I can start having matches again. And, uh, it started to pick up again. And then the world shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, uh, it's definitely been fr- been frustrating to do to have probably five times as many training matches as I, or probably more than that actually, probably ten times as many training matches as I have actual matches in the last two years. Yeah, it's been super frustrating, but it it's something I hate to do, but it's helped me. Do, like, do you feel like a,
2: a, do you feel like the proverbial clock is ticking? Because you're not a kid, right? I mean, you're you're, you're not the twenty something no, year old anymore, so it it. I imagine you, part of you feels like this needs to happen pretty quick.
3: <laughs> I did. I did. I felt like the clock was ticking until COVID happened. Yeah. I got to feel like that year off for COVID, at least for me, like it helped a lot of injuries heal. Uh, mm. but it also kind of put, I feel like it kind of made your age in wrestling obsolete now Yeah. where it's just everybody had to take a year off. So it's not, so it's not like, every, it's not like, Oh, being 30 is the, uh, being 30 is the kiss of death now. And it's funny that that was even a thing before I feel like that's only based off if you're trying to get signed to a WWE developmental contract, you know, and everybody acts like, Oh, you're 30. Oh, that's pretty old. It's like old for what? Like the earth. (laughs) And that's a
2: lot, right? I mean, like you you look at WWE's roster right now. And the average age of, the the top guys has got to be late thirties and maybe even around that 40 mark. If you look at a Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles and Brian yeah. uh, and on and on, you know, uh, Roman Reigns is like a kid
3: at whatever he is, you know, 36, 37. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. uh it's, it's all kind of trending like later and you can see too that people are just more, I feel like people, as the business evolves, people are more mature. They're a little bit more, more mature a couple of years later. You can't, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that guys would do if they're on the road and they're in their early twenties, like working for WWE that they could never get away with. Now they'd all be in jail now, you know, I feel like it's just more of a mature, the business, especially, uh, like ring of honor, WWE, even impact. It's like, I feel like it's a lot more, uh, more mature. Like everybody's a little bit older now and, uh, things are just like, oh, it's less, probably less of a party.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do you you touched on it before, but but do you lean on those um older guys in, in the locker room who, who have been around uh, for a while, whether it's the Briscoes or a Jay Lethal or or
3: even a, a PCOs really
2: up there right know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um so I lean really hard on uh Matt Taven mm-hmm. and uh Mike Bennett. They're they've really been also EC three. They've also um EC three not necessarily for a ring of honor, but uh just wrestling in general, but Taven and Bennett have been kind of like, almost like rocks for me where, uh, they've just kind of, it's been really good to be able to be like, Hey, is like, is everything going all right with me? Like, is my, is the perception of me? Okay. And stuff. And just like to get a little bit of guidance from them. And, uh, they've been guys I've leaned on a lot. The guy I lean on the most is Chris hero for sure. Mm-hmm. Just cause he's got experience everywhere. Like I talk to hero probably every day, just, just asking wrestling questions. And, uh, what if I did this? And, uh, that's probably the person I lean on most, but uh, in the Ring of Honor locker room, like Matt, Matt Taven specifically is somebody that I lean on a lot for uh, just kind of that veteran guidance because he's been in Ring of Honor for so long. We actually first met at a WWE tryout mm-hmm. and uh, I had known of him from seeing him do a little bit of stuff for ROH. It was right before the Top Prospect Tournament and uh, before he before he won the Top Prospect Tournament. And uh, we met then. And so then our journey is like, we met and then our journeys went separately, but it's been kind of cool to like peripherally watch him in uh, ROH and then to come in where he's a leader here mm-hmm. and just to be able to learn from him. And uh, he's been awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Matt Taven is like my guy.
2: When you see guys who are like these ROH lifers, you know, who, who aren't necessarily just passing through and and Taven, I guess it maybe fits into that, uh, that group and guys like the Briscoes and, and um, uh, some others. Um is that, uh, how do you feel seeing that? I mean, is does that, let you know, well, that, you know, if, is it something to aspire to that you can make a home here for your whole career? Oh yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm the happiest I've ever been in, in my life really. But uh, I'm so happy at Ring of Honor. And it's like, it's one of those things where you're in control of your career. Like this is how I imagined as a kid being a pro wrestler. This is how I imagined it being where it's, it's not like, I'm not given scripts. I'm not having to conform to like this like invisible code or anything like that. I'm, I'm, you're taking it face value in Ring of Honor, and I think that's so that's so valuable uh, to be treated with respect like that. And so when I see guys like when I see guys like the Briscoes and uh, and uh, I know Jay Jay Lethal wasn't Jay Lethal was in Ring of Honor, yeah. left and came back, but to see these guys like it makes me respect them so much because they've done it on their own terms. When they could have gone and gotten a pay, gotten a higher payday somewhere yeah. else, they other things have been more valuable to them, and that it makes me respect them way more. And it's one of those things too. When whenever you people are like, "Oh, you're a wrestler. You're going to go to WWE." Right. Like WWE is like going to Disneyland or something. You can just go there, and it's like, well, it's like it's one of those things where it's like there's so many variables to that. But the main thing is, like at Ring of Honor, especially the way they took care of us during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But at, at Ring of Honor right now, like you can do things on your own terms, and there's certain things that Ring of Honor that that Ring of Honor uh, allows you to do that you wouldn't be allowed to do at other companies, or I guess there's just like a certain like yeah, there's just certain priorities you're allowed to have at Ring of Honor where those would have to go by the wayside if you're at other companies, and so. Yeah, I, it makes me respect those guys more that they've held those priorities as more valuable than the almighty dollar. What what's the next step
2: for Ring of Honor, right? I mean, uh, they they've got this great reputation built over uh, 19 years, but you also have uh, now a more crowded marketplace. A, a, a lot of other companies kind of delivering um, the the same sort of calling card that that uh, Ring of Honor did for so long, as far as like the high octane, athletic pro wrestling. Whether it's AEW or it's even NXT. Uh, So what's the next step? What would you like to see ring of honor? uh, uh, What is that next step that they should take?
3: Well, I think the uh, the way that they presented the uh, pure championship or just the pure wrestling in general, and not even really just the pure wrestling, the way they brought back honor about how honor fairness, they've made it seem so much more like a sport again, where I feel like with the high octane, with, doing this doing spot doing so many intricate spots and stuff like that where a lot of times like it can be hard to follow for the casual fan what i what i would like to see is i and i feel like we're kind of getting going in that direction i feel like ring of honor is becoming something that you don't have to be a super fan to enjoy Mm -hmm. i feel like i could turn on ring of honor now like there's an old lady at our gym that she was she it was so funny to me she said the other day she goes uh she was my favorite ring of Honor. my favorite guy on ring of honors cheeseburger. Oh, what's his, his new name? World famous CB. Like she follows that closely that like, she like, it's like, she doesn't know anything. I'm just going to move here. She doesn't know anything about wrestling. She yeah. just, uh, she doesn't know anything about wrestling, but she can follow ring of honor now. And I don't think she could have imagine her following like the dragon gate, six mans and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Like she wouldn't have been able to follow that. So more I feel person. like, yeah, I feel like ring of honor has almost become more digestible If you're not, if you're not a super fan, like I think it's becoming more digestible to the casual viewer and that's the direction I'd like to see it go because that's how you really grow is when you're drawing new fans in that, that maybe they were, maybe they're sports fans and they see the athleticism of, uh, of what, what we do, but they can understand it because of the way that it's presented. That's the way that I would like to see a ring of honor go or trend.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to see what's next for Ring of Honor. I mean, I was at the, the Madison Square Garden uh, show, and and it looked like you know Ring of Honor was riding high and and we're oh ready to taking that next step. And then obviously there's been some setbacks uh, from there, but I think the product's great. I think you're fantastic. A big fan of your work. And uh, thanks for doing this, man. This was a lot of fun.
3: Hey, thank you very much. Yes, yeah, good it was luck great talking to you.
2: All right, man. Have a good hey. one.